You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. All right. Um, we good to go? I think we're good to go. Mm-hmm. All right. So welcome, Morgan, to the Road to Wisdom podcast. It is so awesome to have you here. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so lucky to have you actually because um, we're actually both going through a time in our lives where we would love to improve our communication with our partners <laughs> and also going through a time where the uh, – mental load in our lives is pretty hectic sky high so (laughs) to have you on is just incredible (laughs) this is basically a personal therapy session i was like let's do this let's do this (laughs) it's really not for anyone else listening it's just me and kashia doing couples counseling but without our partners (laughs) yeah yeah basically i'm here for it (laughs) so dr morgan cutlip you are a psychologist Yes, I have my doctorate in psychology. That's correct. Amazing. And I was actually listening to your story, which I find so fascinating because you were basically born into psychology. Your father (laughs) taught, um, was it psychology at university? Yeah. So he, do you want me to just tell the story really fast? Absolutely. Okay. So, so, um, my dad actually went back to school when I was little. So I was around, uh, three or four, but then it took him a really long time to actually get his doctorate. So he got like two masters along the way and a PhD. And when he was working on his PhD, I would sometimes go to classes with him. Actually, the wild thing is, is that I went to the same university to get my doctorate and I had one of the same professors that he had. And I went to her class when I was like six years old. So it was like really this weird full circle moment. But um, as as he got into his career, he started uh, creating educational content to help people in their relationships. He started with singles. And um, so he was like doing courses before people, everybody and the brother who had a course, you know, and um I sort of just grew up in that. So I was in grade school going to classes with him. I started going to conferences with him in middle school, um, particularly a marriage conference. Um, In middle school and high school and college, I would speak with him. I taught a class on Freud in like first grade. (laughs) I was just like, I I feel like now looking back as I share the story, I'm like, oh, I must have been a social experiment for my dad. But I just was um, kind of pulled into his world and I loved it. And we would play this game growing up where he would share, um, you know, like a a case with me, you know, here's a family, here's what's going on. How would you help them? And then I would kind of help sort through and talk about interventions. And so it just was like, it felt like a natural thing that I would go into the same profession, but it was important that I you know, earn my own credentials and things like that. So I pursued my own doctorate and all of the things. But yeah, I feel like I've been in this field for my entire life, even though it's it's been more like officially 15 years. Oh, like that's amazing. You're like a little <laughs> child prodigy. <laughs> um, and then you moved into your niche, which is now motherhood yeah. and overwhelm and burnout and then also like relationships 
in parenthood, um, which is perfect for us because it's where we're at in life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and that came about when you yourself entered motherhood. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, I have this really vivid memory. I was probably around um, college age, so 18, 19. And uh, I was riding in the car to a conference with my dad. I like I like to work the booth. That's what I where I started, and um, I collect payments and things. But um, I said, you know, someday I'm going to do something with for women. But I don't know what that is yet. And and I think back then I assumed it was um, partner selection and dating because um, I think women have a lot of power in relationships that we don't tap into. But um, yeah, fast forward many, many years and our daughter Effie was born. She's 10 now, which is absolutely crazy. But she was born and I just, you know, I just really went into motherhood thinking I would be, I would just crush it. Like I just thought I would be so good and um, know exactly what I was doing. I was like, I'm credentialed. I studied human development and family science. I've, I've, this is a breeze, like walk in the park, no big deal. And um, I just, could not believe how intensely I was smacked across the face with the overwhelm, my loss of freedom, the resentment that developed in our relationship, um, how I felt like I was falling short every single day. Um, and so my expectations versus my reality was so discrepant and I just, um, I lost myself and I felt really bad about myself in early motherhood. And I knew, I mean, I had enough self-awareness to know that someday I would sort of emerge from that fog. You know, that early motherhood fog is so thick. And um, I was like, someday I'm going to figure it out. But I want to help moms navigate this differently because if I feel this way, I know I'm not the only one. So that's how my niche really came about. And I feel like everyone can probably relate to that in some <laughs> respect. It yeah. is, and it, it is, um, it was actually one of the questions I really wanted to ask you because I feel like generations before us didn't get that. Like there wasn't this big, oh my gosh, like how can I not know what I'm doing or I'm botching this up or anything like that. And I really wanted to ask, like, why is that a thing now? Do you know? Why would we I mean, put, yep, yeah, put that pressure on ourselves? Yeah. I don't know, but I have guesses. So, I mean, I don't know how we exactly figure this out. I, it's funny because I have talked to my mom about this before. And, like, I've asked her things like, you know, what did you do when you didn't know what to do? And she's like, I just called my friend and I just did what they were doing. Like, there was no analyzing and digging into all of the parenting books and content. There wasn't parenting content like there is now. So it definitely something has shifted. Um, my guesses are two two primary things. So one is that there's this almost like increase in the quest to be the perfect parent and specifically the perfect mother. Um, and, you know, there was a study that was done by Baby Center and um, actually quote it in my book and then I had to check my citations Um as we were going through the editing process. And then I found a newer version of the study and the number's gone up. So it was like 80% and now it's 83% of mothers say it's important to them to be the perfect mother. And um, of course, that's just the people who are sampled, but that's really high. Mm. <laughs> that's like really high. And we 
I think know at face value to try to strive for perfection is kind of like ridiculous. But I do think that the standards we hold ourselves to are like approaching perfection. Like this idea that we will um, somehow raise these like really self-actualized children um, who are going to leave childhood with no issues um, and no, you know, I'm using it lightly if people can't see me, like trauma um, is is like a new thing this this cycle breaker sort of culture we're living in which is a wonderful thing but it's maybe gone a little bit extreme to where we're now really hyper vigilant in our parenting specifically our mothering and with this um really like well-intentioned desire to be amazing parents and specifically mothers comes with it a crazy amount of high expectations and so I think we were regularly like just setting ourselves up to feel like we're falling short. Um, the second thing is just the amount of content that's available to us. I think we live in information overload. It's so insane. I didn't actually have – I don't know. It, I just wasn't in that world when our daughter was born. But I did like go into blogs. So now it's like social media. But, man, I think I reached the end of the internet trying to figure out a sleep schedule. Um, but it's just gotten more intense. And it's like we've got the books, we've got the blogs, we've got social media content. And I think a couple of things. I think a lot of well-intentioned advice, like there's so many experts, so many experts. And they're so good. They're so good. But it's well-intentioned advice. Um, but it's like taken out of context a lot of the time. It's like, you know, it's, it's not personalized advice. It's not us sitting here and me like directing you and something to do. It's like, it's just global, like these broad sweeping things. And I remember Effie, um, I don't actually know if she was a difficult temperament, but like to me, she felt difficult and it could have been just, I was a new mom, but I remember doing like reading a lot of stuff about name entertainment. I was like, okay, just like name her feeling. I'm like, I should know this. You know, I was feeling bad about that. Name her feeling and she should be fine. But every time I did that, I just inflamed it. Like it got so much worse for me when I would be like, so you're feeling upset. She'd be like, I am, you know, and she'd be like <laughs> freaking out. And I was like, something is wrong with me or something's wrong with my kid, but this isn't working. Instead of me saying, this advice isn't a good fit for me and my parenting. So I think that happens a lot. Like we're getting a sliver of advice. It doesn't necessarily apply to our life. And so we end up personalizing it and feeling really bad about ourselves. And then the other piece of the content is just a comparison. It's like there's mm -hmm. always going to be a life that looks more fabulous. Like there's going to be a mom who looks more beautiful and put together or a kid who's like, you know, dressed in like all neutrals and super well behaved. <laughs> and like there's going to be that Montessori playroom. There's going to be – um, of the vacations that just look so freaking epic and you don't see all the behind the scenes messy parts of it. And so I know that's the cliche part of this answer, but it's true mm -hmm. that there is just an endless amount of content to compare ourselves to and make us feel like complete crap. Yeah. Mm, I already feel so much better just after that. <laughs> <laughs> that's you. a wrap. Oops. I mean, I guess we're done here. <laughs> no, that really... That really hit a spot for me because it's just the truth. It is the truth. We come from times where we've been told because everything's so, like you said, it's everyone's analyzing, overanalyzing this, like trauma enters the room. All these self-help books have entered the room and we're like, oh shit, I was, 
I would, yes. I think I was a bit screwed up as a kid. I really, really, really don't want to make those mistakes mm. or like, oh shit, my parents got divorced. I really, really, really don't want to do that. So it's kind of like, we are like, have to make it perfect. And I can totally see how we've come, we've got to this place and I've never actually really considered that. Yeah. And I do, I wonder like with all the trauma stuff that's coming out now and every, like every bloody person and their dog is talking about how, you know, oh, the way you parent, it was actually programmed from your parents or like yeah. the things that are going wrong or the the mistakes you're making it or must have been your the way you're feeling. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> this is generational trauma or, you know, and it's like, and, you know, because there's that, and look, I'm not saying that's completely off, but because of that, it's like, I feel like that's where the pressure comes in. Like, oh, okay, so I'm doing this because my parents stuffed it up. So I have to make sure I don't stuff it up for my kids. But then like, yeah, I, where do you go from there? I actually- It's too much. It's too like much. We, It's too much. It's so funny, the generational trauma. I know it's a thing. Like I've read mm. the research, I know. But then also I sometimes just like roll my eyes. Like, is this really like too much- too much knowledge sometimes. I would say like too much of a good thing can become bad. And I think that's where we're at with some of this stuff where it's like, okay, okay, chill out a little bit because mm-hmm. the the reality that we sort of have to come to terms with is that um, nobody leaves childhood without something. Like it's n- impossible for us to parent perfectly so that our children leave childhood perfectly whole without something that's like bugging them about what we did and you know or like I'm using like a little t like traumatized by something that happened and the reason why is because there's a difference between intention and interpretation and so we parent I believe all I believe not everybody because I can never say everybody but most people are really parenting today with really good intentions but we have no control over how our children interpret us. And so, I mean, so it's like, like I had this conversation actually with my dad not that long ago because I was like, you you know, you, you called me um, dramatic. And so, and so for many years, I was always like really, you know, tiptoeing around in my relationships because I don't want to be too much. I'm, I'm like, I'm passionate. I get excited. I'm, I am for some people, maybe too much. Sometimes for my husband, but um, I think we all like, are. Just, just to make you feel better. <laughs> maybe that's just universal. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are all of us. All of us. We're all too much. But he was like, I don't remember saying that to you. And like later on, he's like, maybe I did say that. And he's like, but I never meant for you to to internalize that messaging and like for it to be like affected you all these years. And I was like, listen, dad, you know, it's just how I made meaning of what I heard or certain reactions. It's just, you know, you are a great dad and that's not the case for everybody, but I had a great dad, but even with a great dad, I internalized some of the stuff and then I had work to do in adulthood to kind of revise. And I think, you know, that's the other piece is this is sort of like the privilege of being an adult is that we have an opportunity to revise some of the things that we have internalized uh, in our own growing up experiences. But um, we do need to recognize that our kids are going to have the same task ahead of them too. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. I really resonate with that because 
I I do like that was such a great story. It does provide a lot of insight because when you are saying things or when you do think back to your own childhood and you're like, oh, you know, my mum told me I was sensitive and so I grew up with this thing. And again, like the more I parent, the older my kids get, the more I'm like, my parents rocked it. Like (laughs) I started off like (laughs) we had our first baby and I started off like, mum, don't do anything. I don't want your advice. Like I'm going <laughs> to do it better, right? And then yeah. the the further along I get, I'm like, oh, actually, maybe some of her advice would have come in handy back then. <laughs> <laughs> she actually did a pretty good job. This is a tough thing. So it's good, yeah, it's good to hear. And I guess like one thing that I'm trying to um, consider at the moment is how to make my kids – resilient so they like mm-hmm. so that you know those things can be said and because whether me and my husband say it or not a friend says it a teacher like you can't control all of that so like I guess building that resilience in our kids would be one thing to kind of work on to yes. make sure that they don't internalize that and then for the rest of their life carry it like baggage when yeah be a little bit teflon let it go yeah yeah I think that's really wise. And I think, and I once in an interview, somebody's like, what are you trying to instill in your kids? And I give this like long, complicated answer, but, and I was like, well, I wasn't prepared for that question, but it's what you're saying. And I think I had said like to help them be good thinkers. Um, so when they consume some sort of information, if like it's feedback from a teacher or something like that, they're able to like filter through and be, be, be solid enough in their own, um, like perspective of themselves that they can decide like, nah, that's, that's <laughs> here's some advice me. that's worth, worth absorbing. And like some of that's just not for me. Like maybe something's going on with my teacher right now. And so <laughs> being able to, you're exactly right. Be resilient, have some grit um, and be, you know, and that's one of our most important jobs as parents is to um, prepare our kids to exist in a world that isn't all, you know, like bubble wrapped for them. So. Can I ask just quickly, what are the actual practical things that you do for your kids to, teach them to have a little bit of grit and resilience Oof. small question oh. practice just start <laughs> just being really a, mean to them. just a minor <laughs> beat them question down. just beat them down <laughs> on the daily to know that there's a little bit of got that going out in <laughs> i'm doing this for you honey like <laughs> oh my gosh i think i feel like it's like lots of little things that i've i've actually not had to articulate this so i'd have to think about it but i think you know one thing is that i don't always rescue them and I want to, like, I really want to rescue the kids. I want to make everything really easy for them because it's easier for me sometimes. And because also, um, like I love them and I just, it's hard to see our kids struggle. Uh, I remember, I can't remember the exact scenario. Um, I tell the story in my book where we were leaving, um, we were leaving like a Memorial Day party or something. This is a couple years ago. And our daughter was just like losing it on the way home. And I think she wanted me to turn around and go back to the party and like help her. I don't remember what it was. Help her do something that she didn't get to do. And um, I was like, oh. I mean, honestly, I considered it. I was like, man, I just turn around. This is terrible. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> I don't want to do. I don't want to listen to this one more minute. I was exhausted. I had like a stomach issue earlier that day. I was like, this is terrible. Um, and I remember telling her, which like sometimes it doesn't work, but it worked. I was like, I get that it's hard for you. I get that you want to do that. That totally makes sense to me. And also, I'm not going to be able to take you back to do that. And and part of the reason why is because it's late and we got to get home. And another part of the reason why is that 
there's just not always opportunities to have these redos in life, to get another chance to do this stuff. And I know you're upset, but I know you can also handle like these big feelings that you have. And I want you to learn that you can handle them Mm. because if I rescue you every time you're a big feeling like this is going to come up for you and you're going to be afraid by it and you're not going to know what to do. But I'm going to tell you, I'm here with you. You can be upset, but I'm not going to save you and you can handle this. And like this reassurance that our kids can, can weather some of these big moments. I had a big one last night. I don't know. I can just tell story after story. So you just interrupt me when you want me to be quiet. <laughs> no, no, can't like, continue. <laughs> our son, our son. So um, we have friends in town. We haven't seen them in a year and a half. Our kids kind of grew up together and they moved away. And um, the daughter of our friend spent the night and the son was supposed to. So it's supposed to be like one for each of our kids to have a friend over and he didn't end up coming. And so my son, his name is Roy, he's seven, was part of the whole sleepover festivities. But then when it was sleeping time, he was like not invited. And um, he's like, just, you know, I'm snuggling him last night so late. And uh, he's like, just for one minute, let me go in there. It's it's so important for one minute. And like he had already had a minute. Um, He wanted another minute. And I just, it's the same. I just held him. Let it out, buddy. I get it. You feel left out. I know though you're going to be okay and we're going to make it through this and I'll, I'll be alongside you. And so that like coming along with them instead of rescuing them, I think Mm. is one way to build um, some resilience and some hardiness. So they're not alone in their big stuff, but they also um, learn that they can make it through. That's amazing to point out because I feel like I personally go to the rescue because it often makes it all stop the quickest and so as oh, a yeah. parent, it's so hard to go alongside with them instead of needing to stop it because it's so damn triggering for us because oh, like it's the, it's the worst, it's the hardest. So like overcoming being <laughs> triggered and then being like, this isn't for me, this is your thing. I'm just going to sit here and watch this unfold. I've got you, if, but I'm not really, yeah. I'm not going to save you. That mm-hmm. is, you know what though? I think having four kids kind of easier (laughs) well it helps because we don't actually always have the time (laughs) to rescue them either (laughs) it's like like i know tip number two have more kids (laughs) (laughs) but like four kids each like sometimes it's like you're in the school run and the toddler's crying and needs boob and then someone like usually rue has just axed himself doing something that you would just normally do but he managed to tie his feet up and fall flat on his face (laughs) and and like and then my eldest will be like mom like having a meltdown I'm like mate you gotta handle that meltdown (laughs) I've got two others that I gotta sort and get you all in the car and your other brother needs to get his shoes and socks on I can't help with that like it kind of it like incidentally has to build resilience Mm. it's true it's like every hard moment that is like within a manageable range it's a every manageable but hard moment that they overcome builds a little bit of resilience. You don't want to be like throw them in the deep end type of thing, but coming alongside them, helping them overcome these little things um, that that still feel kind of hard to them. Actually, they'll probably if you process some of the stuff afterwards, they do something that's a little bit hard and they struggle through, but then they did it. Mm. Um, they're going to feel real proud of themselves. And so that's that stuff um, adds up. And builds a lot of grit. Definitely. And Kashia, after just hearing you being like, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta do that. Let's talk about <laughs> mum load for a minute. Yes. <laughs> Good segue. Good segue. <laughs> I like it. Um, I've listened to a, like several of your podcasts and 
bits and pieces on Instagram and far out, it all resonates because when we talk about mum load, it is that invisible load that is always just around us and it's that thing and I have the awareness to know that if I'm running around and I'm grumpy and I'm angry or I'm short or like I get snappy at my partner or my kids it's because there's like a million tabs open and I've got you know like I'm the type of person who walks around the house I'm like that needs to be done that needs to I've got to do this got to do that oh that's right I haven't moved my body I haven't done washing I haven't I've got to pick up the kids like it never ever ends right and so and mean, meanwhile can I just add to that yeah. meanwhile while you're thinking all that stuff you've got at least two children going mum 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 yeah <laughs> or something like there's it's never a like Hmm, what shall I do? Um, oh, but really quickly, do you ever have that super overwhelm and like crazy amount of load and then you get like a surprise 20 minutes yeah. to do stuff and you're like a stunned mother? Like, like poof, all gone. Like, you're like <laughs> 20 minutes. Like I have heaps to do but I don't know what to tackle and yeah. like you end up just thinking about it for 20 minutes <laughs> burning the time. Yeah. I, f- I feel like for me, I feel like – I've, I wonder, is the mental load a mother thing? Like is it naturally a mother thing or do, a men's mental load as a father, they're obviously different. It's more like how do I earn enough money? How do I be more present father or like I want to hang out with the kids or like I haven't – like whatever it is, I actually don't even – I don't know. Um, but for us it's obvious um, and women know – all about it but um it's obvious for us women yeah it's obvious for us women (laughs) it's not obvious (laughs) it's not obvious for anyone else (laughs) yeah I mean for me I feel like I'm I feel guilty and naggy and it's all icky inside my body when I have a million things on my internal to-do list and I try and delegate and I've gotten snappy and he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, you should know. Like, how do you not see all this stuff? And he's like, I don't. I genuinely don't. And it's not because my partner's a lazy prick who he's very helpful and like really wants to do stuff, but he just is like, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Him and every other partner. Yeah. Oh, where do you want me to jump in on this? Because there is like – Oof. You wrote a whole book about it, but if yeah. we could just make it <laughs> well, into a short. Actually, that <laughs> I'm writing. So this is my book too, is on the mental load. This one will come out in a little while, but it's, um, so I'm still working on it and I'm actually doing interviews. I'm interviewing women and I'm hoping to interview some men because I think we need to get to the bottom of some of these burning questions. Like, yeah. do you feel the well, same Well, I guess thing? like, do men, are men receptive of being like, I need to help or is it, um, mm. is it an, is it a, us job is it a women's job to Mm. be like I need to take some of this off and this is how I'm going to talk to you and this is how we're going to be successful in sharing the load like is it our responsibility as women to take it off and share it around or you know like is it up to our men to be like okay I'm here I've got hands give me the jobs yeah and how do we communicate that Yeah, I think it's – so you brought up like a thousand important points as you were talking. So I'm like – my brain was like scrambled eggs right now because I'm like, wait, which one do I want to talk about? But I think the the answer to the specific thing you just said is both. I I, And some people – like 
I don't get a lot of pushback on my content, like knock on wood. But um, if I do, it'll be with women being like, we shouldn't have to explain it. You're just giving us more work to do like that. We shouldn't have to explain it. And it's like, well, you know, uh, I get it. In like a perfect world, it'd be awesome to just not have to explain these things and to not even have to talk about it. But a lot of the times um, – we're the ones who are unhappy with how stuff's going. And so it's like if we're unhappy and we're wanting to see a change, then we might have to initiate the conversation. So let me backtrack to something that I think is an, is a concept that can be helpful to understand. Oh, you guys both described tea. That was so nice. Let's have a cup like of tea. The, like the synchronicity of it was just like so awesome. Okay. So. We actually really. We're like settling in. I was we, just so dehydrated. I was like. Oh. <laughs> but also we really love to have our opinions validated by professionals over a couple. So <laughs> we figured we'd grab it tea. out. Let me validate you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I feel so cozy and comfy now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh, Let me – okay. This is my this is my personal, like, understanding of um, kind of how the mental load starts to build up. And it's also one of the reasons why um, I, like, will rationalize sometimes that, that as women we do need to start the conversation or we need to sometimes ask for help. The ideal is, like, our partner – starts to step into taking more initiative. That's really what you want to get to. And it should be a balance. Like sometimes we are going to have to ask for what we need, but they should over time as this becomes something you work on, um, they should be taking more initiative. So I have this concept called piling on precedence. I don't know if I need like a sexier title for this, but that's what I call it. And it's basically like this is that um, – Maybe you could as- just write piling on precedence leads to – hot juicy <laughs> and no it takes will away from it <laughs> oh, you will have the, have the worst sex yes, <laughs> <laughs> okay so the idea is like when you are in a relationship with your partner and then you, whatever it is whether you're living together it's a long-term relationship you get married whatever that trajectory looks like for you is that we tend to do stuff um out of like women are naturally usually caretakers we do stuff because we love our partners and it's like well-intentioned and we're just like I love you I want to do this to take care of you and what happens is that it starts to add up so it's like I will take care of us by stocking up all the toiletries when they're running low and our partner just thinks there's never runs out you know weird my toothpaste is like never ending um all these things we're just taking care of them out of love, out of just care for our partners, um, but we never actually talk about it and it's all invisible. And so we do this before we have kids. And by the time we have kids, we probably have a lot of things that we do this for and around in the house, in the home, in our lives, um, taking care of like all of a sudden you're buying their family presents for like their mother and stuff. And you're like, I don't know, I'm just doing it to take care of stuff. But when we do that without talking about it, without it being in their awareness, they remove it from their awareness. They're not thinking about it anymore. Maybe they push back. Like for me, um, early in marriage, I would like do all this meal stuff and then I do the dishes and my husband would like fight me on it. And then all of a sudden he just stopped fighting and that went on for a long time and he'd just be on the couch and I'd be doing the dishes. And then it's like, what the heck, what happened? So, you know, they don't think about it anymore. What happens is then we have kids and literally overnight, the amount of responsibilities grow exponentially. 
And so our plates were already usually pretty full going into being parents. And then we become parents. And it's like, holy moly. Then you factor in, you know, um, just like how you were talking early on about how your mom wanted to give you advice and stuff. And you're like, I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, like we, we kind of go into this real protective mode, right? When we have kids um, and I'm generalizing, this isn't true for everybody. For the most part, we go in this protective mode. And at that point we tend to take care of all the stuff with the baby. I know how to do the, do it the right way. I know what I'm doing. What, what have you looked into? What baby book have you read? What have, you know, and so we start to just accumulate all this stuff and it goes on a long time till kind of like we reach that breaking point where we're huffing and puffing around the house and we're like why don't you know these things need done it's like well it's not our fault but for a majority of stuff probably a lot of it we've just been doing for years and we never talked about and it's all been invisible and our partner totally checked out of that part of life and so I think that that's like an you know, it's, it's something to reflect on. Did I do this? Did, did this pattern sort of happen in areas of our relationship? And then how do we unwind some of these things? Because um, things have to become visible. Our partners have to get better at stepping into our world and paying more attention. It's increasing awareness. Um, I interviewed a couple once and they talked about they had like a really cool way of handling the mental load, but the dad talked about um, collecting data in the home. And he was like, yeah, I'm like always looking for, for data to teach me how I can step in to care for my kids better or my wife better or the home better. And that's really what we need our, our partners to start doing. And part of the process sometimes of getting there is asking for help. And definitely part of the process is starting to have conversations around the mental load. I'll stop because mm. I keep going. No, yeah. I I really like that. I've got to say though, in terms of dad's helping, I f- do feel very lucky mm. <laughs> with so my husband. I. Yeah, because he's like when he's home, we are 50-50 more or less yeah. around the house. Um, and since we've started this podcast, he's taken on a lot more of the um, motherly <laughs> roles, I guess, <laughs> a lot more drop-offs <laughs> and pickups. But um, there is d- definitely that time and both of us can relate to this where our partners work away a bit. Yeah. And when they're away, that load is just abso- absolutely yeah, overwhelming. Mm. And then they come back and they'll like take over 50 again, but you're in this like hyper doing everything kind of yeah. phase and you're like, no, 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 don't touch that because I've got like a, got a sorted. routine got sorted. sorted. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it gets into a little bit more of a groove once you're together again for a bit. But mm. yeah, it can, and it can definitely build a lot of tension in the relationship that like. Oh, yeah. It's the communication, yeah. I think. Yeah. The, or the lack of the correct communication is what creates the tension mm-hmm. for me is that like it's so hard to for someone to not for the partner to not be aware that there's a lot going on for internalizing mm-hmm. for the woman and then they'll come home and just like it could go either way at any minute like whatever they say it's going to go <laughs> that way or that way and it's just like it could be so good but there'll be a comment and it'll just be like that's it that's can just completely sets you crazy <laughs> I know um, the comments. And yeah, yeah. And so it'd be nice to just understand what kind of that communication could look like and um, 
yeah, for our for our partners too, and for women as well, who instead of being like, I've had it, I've had the worst day, this, that, this, and just kind of like clanging dishes and like just to be like oh, yeah. calm and in your center almost and be like, look, this is going on or, you know, all the partners come home and be like, wow, yeah, I just appreciate you or I don't know, just this ability to soften instantly. Okay, so um, – I'm going to touch on both things that both of you said. And so uh, when I like teach about the mental load, I teach about it um, as like coming in, intervening in two ways. One is the within. So this is the individual component of the mental load. It's the stuff that like if your partner changed nothing, what could you change? And then the other is the between and the So that's the communication. That's the dynamic. And so within the with the within, I'll just give a few points. Um, there's things to just think about because um, sometimes we have this way of sort of sabotaging ourselves when it comes to the mental load. So I have, for example, five behaviors that backfire. Um, one of them is taking everything really personally uh, that I think just, it just sets the tone into a negative place in the relationship. Um you know, every time you see a towel, you're like, what a sign of disrespect. You know, you like make everything so big. Um, and another is micromanaging. So when you turn something over to your partner and they're like, and then you're like, don't do it like this, do it like this, do it like, don't do it like that. Wait, what are you doing? Right. It's just, mm-hmm. it shuts down their desire to participate more. Um, another is impatience. Um, I'm guilty of every single one of these at, at one time or another. So this is like not to be condemning. So it's just like, it's just what we do sometimes. Um, impatience is like, can you help me with this? And then um, you're taking too long. I'll do it myself. Uh, criticism. You've got the kids dressed, but what the heck are they wearing? I don't know. Oh, and keeping score. <laughs> right. You've done that, right? We've all done yeah, that. We're like, what that. the heck? Like, are you serious right now? And then keeping score. Like, thanks for helping. That's the drop in the bucket compared to what I do. So those are things that just um, are worth paying attention to how we're showing up when we're thinking about the mental load. Um, and these things, you know, there's there's also a whole thing I talk about with stories that sabotage. So things we tell ourselves about the mental load that kind of shut things down. But ultimately what this does is that it sours the tone in the relationship or it makes, you know, instead of inviting our partner in, it's making them more likely to just like, ah, I don't want to participate in this because this just doesn't end well for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's the within. There's more to it, but that's some pieces that are worth thinking about. And then the other is the between. So that's how the two of you actually communicate around the mental load. And I I personally have a belief that we should like have a scheduled conversation regularly about the mental load because it's changing all of the time. My husband travels for work almost every single week. And so there are times where um, like you know, he's just not available to help with anything. And then there's other times where it's like, let's look, let's look ahead. Let's look at all the holidays we have coming up. Like, what are you taking care of? What am I taking care of? Let's divide and conquer type of thing. And so the mental load's always changing. Um, it's changing day to day, changing week to week, seasons of life. We have different amounts of responsibility and intensity. So get good at talking about it. Because when you get good at talking about it, it diffuses like the intensity of these conversations. It's like, this is just a normal thing couples got to talk about. This is not us having a big argument. Let's just get, let's put it on our calendars and let's talk about it. I think you brought up such a good point about how um, sometimes what we need most from our partners is for them to step into just appreciation and acknowledgement. 
um, personally for me, this is like what I need the most. And then my husband sucks at it. Like he's just, I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, I teach it. Watch my reels. Like what's the matter with you? You know, I'll give you a formula. Like, do it. And, um, but it's, it's hard for some people. And I think that's what you're saying is like when you're in the flurry of it and you've spent the whole day with all your kids and you're just depleted and your partner comes home, if you know that that is a really important transition time for you and your and your partner. It's worth having a quick conversation around that. Hey, I've noticed this pattern. The first thing you say to me or the first thing that happens when you re-enter our family after I've been carrying everything, it either sends me to a place of relief or it sends me to a place of resentment and irritation at you. And so like, let's have a plan. Let, here are three things I want you <laughs> I want you to give me a hug and say, look at you doing all this. You're awesome or you're amazing. Or, you're impressive to me. Like you're just, you make it look easy, whatever does it for you. Or maybe another thing is, is um, it comes in and it's like, tell me about your world today. What was today like for you? Maybe he comes in and he's like, you take a minute, I got the kids or something. But like have a plan. I just – we're like so plan resistant in our relationships because it doesn't seem intuitive. But like we need plans for certain things. If you know that's an important time for you, make a plan with your partner. Mm. Mm. And I feel like this is a gateway to hot sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> because you're probably not in the mood as a woman who has a big mental load, who's gotten some like negative – not great energy from partner when they enter the space and then yeah like that doesn't it's not really a recipe for Mm -mm. intimacy no and I guess like the switching the switching over which I mean is talked about a lot the switching over from mother role and caretaker role to like I am a sensual being role is (laughs) It's hard. That's like a big bridge hard. that you've got to cross. And if you're, yeah, and if you've got no help to feel that sensual body, you know, anything or just a little break from the motherhood, 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 this parent teacher interview, this meal, what am I cooking tomorrow? Oh, I need to make sure that I get whoever. Yeah, new how, does a, how, does, how does the man just be like, I'm going to take you from that? And I'm going to just put you here for a while and we're going to do this. <laughs> like, what's the recipe? Can we, can you talk to the men for a hot minute? <laughs> I know. I feel like it's, it's a, something that gets really like overly complicated where it probably isn't that big of a deal. I, I don't know for both of you, but like for me, it takes very little to like diffuse any of that just kind of like sense of overwhelm if my partner steps into the, to the relationship in the right ways. So, um, I can speak to like what people in my community say. So a lot of people in my community say appreciation. So if you like really want to have like happy wife type of thing, happy partner um, is is expressing a lot of appreciation. So they feel really seen and validated, not just like you're a good mom. I think we could say that to a tree. Like it's that is not impactful. I can't stand that compliment. Okay, thanks. Like I know Um, it's like, why? Why do you think I am? What do you see? What do you notice that I do? How do I make your life better? You know, that's kind of really what a compliment should get at. It should be I see this. I appreciate this and this is how it makes my life better. And um, that makes a really powerful compliment. So that's one. Um, And another is um, I think like showing a desire to be connected and close to to us that is not 
sexual. So, so whether it's like a touch that doesn't go anywhere, wrapping um, arms around us while we're like, you know, doing something just routine in our day and, and like squeeze, giving us a squeeze, planning a date. I got that one the most out of anything. Plan a stinking date. For Pete's sake, we do so much to be thinking about and caring about everyone else in our lives. We need somebody to like do that for us sometimes. And Can I interject yeah. there too? But if we are asking them to plan a date, I think it's really, really important that if they choose the time or choose the place, we're appreciative of that and not critical. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, thank you. That's so true. Because they won't plan another one. Ever again. Ever again. Yeah. I know. I know. Yes, that's so big. So I think those are some things. I mean, the, the thing about the mental load in sex is that I, I say that the mental load takes up cognitive cognitive real estate and our brains are, I mean, it's, I don't, I think most people know this, but I don't know, but our brains are our most important sex organ because especially for the majority of women, not every woman, some women have like a really like high, high desire and stuff. But for most of us women, we have to like get in a sexy state of mind. And how do you get in a sexy state of mind when you're thinking about, like your to-do list and all the stuff you didn't get done that day and the load of laundry that's still in the washer and it's probably getting stinky and you got to transfer it over. And then you're like, oh yeah, sex, go away. You know, it's just like, (laughs) it's like, it's really hard to create space for those thoughts when we are overwhelmed and then add in feeling unappreciated, feeling like we're not pursued except when our partner wants to have sex. All these things are crowding out our desire to have sex. And so if you think about it from in that sense, it's like our partner's job, if they're wanting to spice up the sex life, is like how do I make room in their brains? How do I make room for them to even think about that? Because I think a lot of us, it's like there's no room left for this. So I'm not sure where that fits in. Mm. I think men probably just look at it like, oh, you're just a mom and like I understand you're just busy and touched out and breastfeeding. and But I just – don't think that's the case. I think it's more because I've thought about this and it's not any of that. It's just the mental load and it's not thinking yeah. about it. And, and it's general not, fatigue for me anyway. Yeah. Gets to the end of the day. But and how I'm much, like, yeah, but how much can <laughs> like, yeah, how much can yeah. that affection and just that little bit of, I don't know for me, but it's, it can energize me. Oh, hundred percent. You know, like if mm-hmm. I'm feeling yes. so flat and then he comes home and he's like, there's an obvious passing of, gratitude or appreciation yeah, I'm just like or desire. Oh, I'm good like I'm actually good yeah whereas it's it even more much, deflated right? it doesn't no, I, I'm with you it much. actually doesn't take much to yeah completely shift the energy in the room from a hard day to a freaking good day let's squeeze the rest of the juice out for the next you know hour before the kids go to bed like it's so doable yeah I um I actually did a lot of research on this I don't know have you heard of Laura Doyle Morgan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's a cringeworthy title. <laughs> um, but, oh, God, I can't even remember. It's the something wife. The, the submissive wife or something like that. Yeah. I think you, I remember this book from when we were in Toronto. Yeah. And, and like, I was surrendered. 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 Wife. Yeah. Surrendered yeah. Wife. <laughs> <laughs> the surrendered <laughs> wife. So I, I got, passed that book from a friend and when I got it like every single part of me was just like she's like you've got to read it I'm like oh okay I can't let anyone see me reading this (laughs) 
but there is a lot in there that is actually um, that speaks to us, like taking mm. the first step. And, like, inviting that in. Mm. And she also, like, makes you take accountability for any of the times that Mm. that would have happened. And maybe at the start of the relationship or a year ago or three years ago or whatever, your man was, like, doing these things and you were just so tapped out and in, like, go, go, go mode that you didn't appreciate it. Mm. And And then then it just just stops. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, like... Because uh, I, I um, I don't want to give our men too much. Like yes. this is your responsibility. You want sex, you do this. But like, no, there totally is an agree. aspect that we can take on as well and introduce those things. And I've I read it a while ago, so I can't remember it. But it, Morgan, if your brain is yes. less Swiss cheese than mine, <laughs> <laughs> I actually I will confess I didn't read it, but I know who Laura Doyle is. But um, something I, I haven't talked about sex in a while on my account, but I used to do series on different topics and I do a whole one. Um, like I did one, a whole one on infidelity, a whole one on sex. This is before I niched into mom stuff. And um, something that I, I talk a lot about and I do talk about it in my book, which is that we have to take ownership over our sexual relationship. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is in line with what she's saying too, but um, I think a lot of us, also, so if you take kind of the flip side, a lot of us think of sex as like something we do for our partners. Hmm. And so it shifts the meaning of it in our minds. It becomes one more one more box to tick on our to-do list instead of being like, wait, I'm a sexual being. Like I have desires and needs and things that feel good and that I enjoy. And so what does it look like when I um, – and not for the sake of your partner but for like your own – personal pleasure and enjoyment of your sex life and having fun with it. How can I step into um, just taking more ownership over what what it looks like? And um, I do like these experiments in my relationship. I like try different things and see if I shift the dynamic without my husband knowing. And um, there was like a period of time where I know it was like, he doesn't listen to my podcast. He listens to He doesn't ever know like all the secrets that I tell. But uh, he, he, there was a time where I was just like not, like I, we have a good sex life, but I was just like not feeling it. You know, I was like, just doing, going through the motions type of thing. And um, so it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shift. I'm going to tap into like, what does it for me? and do some reflection on that and then I stepped into taking some more ownership so whether that's like initiating a little bit for here and there or flirting a little bit more in different ways and just allowing myself to have a little bit more fun with it and it was like he shifted too and he suddenly started showing up like a little bit more um in the relationship like I had hoped you know I've been wanting him to and things and so I think that relationships are a dynamic we can shift mm, these things mm. and it and it shifts the whole which is pretty cool actually because it gives us a lot of uh, personal power definitely and we're yeah. definitely the type of women who are like where are we going wrong and what can we do as opposed to like yeah what does the man have to do to fix us like we're yeah. definitely not like that so yeah yeah that's it's, it's good and that is definitely in line with Laura Doyle's work. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for speaking to that. Sure. <laughs> um, Just the like more pragmatic, practical side of juggling and sharing with the community or, um, you know, like other family members because I feel like there's this under feeling of needing to do it all and mm-hmm. that not being – it's not being appropriate 
to be like, no, the kids can go there or maybe I'll just have like takeaway for dinner tonight mm-hmm. instead of cooking a healthy meal because I really value feeding my kids healthy food or like, you know, mm-hmm. just allowing, like giving ourselves permission to take off a couple of hats in the mother role. Like maybe I'm going to actually send my kids to my mother-in-law's for a sleepover tonight because I just need that. Or like, why do we feel so guilty? <laughs> yeah, so this is um, something I, I go like a pretty deep dive in my book um, about some of these belief systems and it's kind of woven all the way through, but then there's an actual, I think it's in chapter four five, um, where I do talk about mom guilt, but, um, it's just messaging throughout the whole book, but there's, um, there's this whole body of research on something called intensive parenting. And it's like, I remember when I came across this research, I was like, Oh, and this lady, it's just like everything clicked in and made sense, but it's, there's five components of intensive parenting. Um, and, and the idea is, is that we are parenting more intensely and this is part of the reason we're experiencing a lot more all of the things stress burnout depression anxiety overwhelm and motherhood but one of the one of the factors and defining pieces of it is something called essentialism and um the author who came up with this terminology her name's sharon hayes she's a researcher too and essentialism is is basically the belief that moms are the best ones for the job and then it just like trickles out from there like we're the best ones for the job um therefore we shouldn't ask other people for help and involve other people um we're the best ones for the job so we have to do the cooking because like if we don't we're outsourcing it and our kids are getting you know subpar food which might be true but like sometimes you need a break um you know and so it, it trickles out to all these other things and it gets in the way of us bringing in support um accepting advice from people who might have some wisdom to share um from creating a village you know, I know there's a lot of content about how we don't have a village and i know a lot of us don't but also, sometimes these beliefs get in the way of us um, expanding our definition of what our village looks like and bringing people into our lives to provide support. Like I know um, there are trusted families that I use as part of my village um, to, to like, let's swap kids or like send your kids over. I need more people. I need more bodies. Like it's too crazy. Um, you know, they're at each other's throats. And so I think, you know, this is something that it's really important for moms to examine if they're buying into this belief and there's many many others but when we understand some of the beliefs offer operating in the background um, that self-sabotage our ability to get rest find support um, get a break then we need to decide you know maybe it's time to revise some of these maybe it's time to um, start acting a little bit differently before we feel okay with some of this stuff, um, as long as our children are safe, you know, to, to be able to move out of some of this burnout and things like that. And so our, our belief systems can really, um, create a lot of guilt and feelings of falling short. And that's the thing with guilt. Guilt usually comes from some really incredibly impossible standards we set for ourselves that we can't possibly live up to. And so they require examination and revision. Mm, I definitely relate to that. Yeah. I'd love to, because it came back to me, um, also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also <laughs> talk about the hierarchy of uh, prioritizing our relationships. So mm. this is something that I heard you speak on and you speak to it so well. So I wanted to share that with our listeners. Um, we, we're constantly told if you're burnt out, you need to 
take care of you, boo. Like make sure that you're filling your cup, book in for an appointment or like, yeah, palm off responsibilities. And sometimes it's unrealistic to palm off those responsibilities. Uh In my case, like people will offer to take my kids to school, but I have three kids to get to school and not often actually no one I know has an extra three car seats. (laughs) So things like that. Um, Then, yeah, and then it's, you know, who do we look after because we want our relationship with our children to thrive and we want them to not just our relationship with them but them in themselves to grow and thrive and be incredible humans, um, which takes effort from us. Then Mm -hmm. we we need to look after our relationship with our partners. And then I haven't heard you speak on this, but um, one that's really important for me is maintaining my relationship with my friends and community as well. So it's, yeah, I've heard you speak on the juggle of balancing these things and then making sure that we also don't end up just like flat on the ground (laughs) on our faces. (laughs) So I was wondering if you could, if you could talk to that a little bit and priorities and balance yeah so I think um not I think I know one of the most common struggles that women women experience and specifically moms is how do we take care of our relationships and how do we basically prioritize us versus everyone and everything else and I think this is just like this is a thread throughout um, the life of a woman and, and especially the life of a mother. And what I find often happens is that moms um, sacrifice themselves for the preservation of their relationships. And so then you get messages from people who will be like, well, you got to take care of you first. Like that's like that old adage of like you got to be healthy first before you can find love. And I'm always like, ah, it's not so black and white. I don't I don't think we have to go first. I don't think we have to juggle our priorities in a way where it's always us at the top because that's not realistic for um, life as a mom. It really isn't. And if we put forward that message, I think we're going to make a lot of moms feel really crappy. Um, And maybe we're going to actually like – be perpetuating this idea we should neglect our children or something and I don't believe that to be true so I think about our relationships as um always in motion and so life has this way of regularly disrupting and pulling apart the connection in our relationships the good things the planned things the unplanned the the beautiful the tragic all of these things just sort of like interrupt the closeness in our relationships. And so um, part of our job isn't to try to find balance in our relationships or a perfect hierarchy of like who comes first and how everyone fits in. But our job is to be in tune and in touch with our relationships and regularly be balancing them. And so if you are so heavily invested in your children that you don't even know what you need anymore and you and your partner haven't had more than a two-minute conversation in six months, um, you need to recalibrate. And so things need to shuffle. Um, And part of the reason why, too, this is so important is because um, our relationships are really reciprocal. So um, if we're neglecting ourselves, we're going to show up worse in our partnership and in our relationship with our kids. And then we're going to feel really bad about how we're showing up, which means we're going to feel bad about ourselves. And it starts to all like kind of play off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's like there's not a perfect order. 
um, you know, we know certain things. We know that um, a secure environment at home between uh, two partners to parent, you know, between parents um, provides a secure environment for kids. So that relationship is really important. But it's just normal for all these things to get out of balance sometimes. Let's just work to regularly check in to make adjustments. When we're being neglected, let's make a little shift, get a little bit of time and meet some of our needs. When our partnership's being neglected, let's recalibrate so we don't lose touch and we don't want that relationship where the kids go off to to college and we're like, I don't even love you anymore. I don't even know who you are. We've drifted apart. So Mm. um, it's staying on top of these relationships and being active managers of them that I think is the most important, not necessarily the order in which that they're cared for. Did I answer that how yes. <laughs> you were looking for? So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect because it seems like, <clears throat> excuse me, we're definitely living in an area or a community that is really prioritizing their relationship with the self mm. before relationship with like partner or. Or I, th- I think that it it almost goes to like too extreme it's extreme yeah there's like you see families where the mother is just completely buried under and does not give herself a thought in the world and then there are families where the mother is like just off all the time like I'm the matriarch and Mm. I've got a self-care and this is my self-care schedule and you know step aside everything else and everyone else like it's my time to yeah, yeah which is all like like feeds into that kind of goddess mm-hmm. culture that we've mm. spoken about on the podcast before. Yeah. So yeah, it's finding that balance and I guess I guess yeah you you actually spoke to that really well. So and yeah, the importance of all of those things like you are just as important as your relationship with your husband and your kids and your um, entire community like we're we're all part of mm-hmm. something bigger than us as well so yeah it's a good it's a good yeah. point to make and I think we just feel like it's fun it's interesting to hear you talk about these like two extremes because I do think our culture can feed almost this and I'm using not the clinical definition but it can almost feed this like narcissism mm-hmm. um which is like really careful about in my book because to, to not feed that because i don't think that we need to be all about us i just think we need to be considered yeah. and we need to be factored in um oof, i was losing my train of thought think, but uh yeah go ahead do you think that maybe too because i know you speak on like the, the mother bashing, like people bashing or motherhood bashing, like people speaking really negative of motherhood, of being in relationship, of their kids all the time. And that's something that we try not to do because it yeah. is so prevalent at the moment. And do you think that that kind of feeds into that and that's why you need to look after you like first? I've, I've been pondering that. <laughs> yeah, I do think – Yeah, I think we kind of have this mentality about motherhood. Not everybody. It's again, like there's just these these dichotomies that are sort of developing that I find really obnoxious actually. But I think that one of them on the negative side is that motherhood takes more than it gives. Mm -hmm. Like it just sucks the life out of you. It depletes you. It's like our children are like parasites type of mentality. And I think when you really are operating in motherhood with that mentality, you're actually going to feel crappier in motherhood um, or you're going to start to become – 
almost like righteous about um, your own your own care. Um, and I just think that's like that's not what we're after. I think what we're after and what what the goal really should be is that we all want to be good moms. Like I think we should really be like we should be wanting to be good moms, but we should also, you know, strive to feel good and mud. I think I think there's a way to navigate both um, in a way that's honoring of you as a mom, as a woman, as an individual that's not just a mom and also is honoring to our children and how we want to raise them and care for them. And part of it is is like normalizing that um, things are going to get messy and out of balance sometimes. But when you are regularly touching base on your relationships, you can make these shifts. It's just like, you know, thinking about I feel like at time it's really obvious is that when you have one kid and you're about to welcome another and like all of us moms are like, oh no, I'm never going to have that same precious time with my firstborn. We're going to lose touch. And then your second's born. And then that kind of happens a little bit where you're like, oh, I feel a bit disconnected. And um, we don't stop there. We do something about it. We carve out a little bit of time. We do a date. We play for a little bit um, uninterrupted during a nap or something. Like We do the things to recalibrate our relationship with our firstborn. And I think we need to generalize that um, to a relationship with ourself, relationship with our partner, relationship with our kids. Let's just touch base, make some small adjustments. And um, that's, a, I think, a I hate to say it like this, but I can't think of a better word. That's a healthier way of approaching it than going in either extreme. Mm. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I'm learning about balance. So it's it's good to hear <laughs> everyone speak on it because, yeah, yeah, I do feel like in society, like there are so many just everyone's taking extremes at the moment and everyone, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean that even wraps back into um, – what you said earlier about, you know, all the information and trying to implement all the information, whereas we're adults and we can get information. And I've even found this since we've started the podcast, like I'll get information from one of our guests and be like, you know what? I don't know if I fully agree with that or maybe just it's not right yeah. for me right now. And so I can, I can take that on board and I appreciate the information, but I don't need to implement that or I don't need to see that as true in yes. every single situation, which I think mm. is a really big lesson for everyone out there because mm. since um, coming jumping back on social media, which I had a Mom. big hiatus from, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like everyone, everyone can tend to like someone will say something and then we think that that is – something that everyone needs to apply or it applies in every single situation which is absolutely never the case and it may not even be the case in most situations but we can take the information and if it does apply to us great we've learned something and if it doesn't well it's probably helped someone else and we can move on (laughs) groundbreaking I feel like it needed to be said (laughs) it does Mm. and it's like nice to hear and I think like all of us moms could take um just a lesson from what you're saying is like how we consume the content we're exposed to is so important mm. and that having that awareness of like I don't have to take all this in mm, I can yeah. scroll on by I can listen and say thanks for that I don't know if that fits for me and we can we can sort of boundary that yeah. um, in ways that that fit for us and then I guess we're also modeling a little bit of resilience for our children which is <laughs> bonus <laughs> bonus little bonus <laughs> yeah Oh, that's all such good, hearty 
big hug information to it, absorb. It is. And <laughs> Morgan, you are just so beautiful. <laughs> oh, like yes. the way, like just your presence and the way you speak mm. on these things. Like it's really like the things that you're saying are so down the line, but it's it has a balance about it and it's really comforting and logical and relevant for everyone so <laughs> no it's really thank you for coming on and i think a lot of people are going yeah. to get a lot out of this conversation and your upcoming book too when you're oh, available yes, yes. oh thank With you that's like the nicest compliment <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate it um yeah my book is out september 19th but it's for pre-order now and it's called love your kids without losing yourself five steps to banish guilt and beat burnout when you already have too much to do and i'm really excited about it i've wanted to write this book for i don't know seven or eight years and um just like so thrilled to put it out in the world and i believe it will really, really help moms. It's practical. It's relatable. It's like it's like coffee with a friend who has credentials. That's kind of how it reads. <laughs> Which is um, what we're and down when, for. And we are yeah, for that. Yeah, that's right. Or tea. Or tea. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee comes a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it comes with um, – if you pre-order, it helps me as an author. It helps my publisher know like, oh, people want this book, so they give me more attention. Um, it helps towards the list stuff. Um which is a hard thing to make, but, you know, why not? And it also comes with a lot of gifts when you pre-order that won't be available later. So, and I recorded, um, there's the audiobooks available, but I recorded especially for the pre-order period. The introduction, which is called Balance is Baloney, so it's like full circle to what we're talking about, <laughs> and then um, two chapters. So you can actually start the book right away. Amazing. Oh, so good. I can't wait to get it. Um, yeah, so we will be doing a little giveaway with your book too. So everyone keep an eye out for that. Um, and that'll be for our community. So yeah, um, we'll put those details up on Instagram when we've got it all sorted. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Let yeah. me know how I can support that too for you guys. Oh, absolutely. You can edit that out. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I feel like we... Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on. And oh, lastly, I guess, uh, where can everyone find you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, about me and the book, you can just find on my website. So it's www.drmorgancutlip, all one word, dot com backslash book or on Instagram, drmorgancutlip. Excellent. And we'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This was so nice. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.